people that could probably teach this better than I could. So I don't, and I've also lost my voice, as you can hear. Um, so I'm, I'm really hoping that we will have more of a discussion today and, and share our perspectives on these passages because I think we all bring our own perspectives and our own experiences and our own voices to these passages. But I also kind of want to set the context first a little bit from the best that I could. I think you might have, maybe you knew, I don't know if you knew that Melanie Brown was supposed to be in here today and um, because of, it was Jay's mom passed away. So we could remember their family. Um, so I will bring what I have in the short time that I had to prepare. Um, so this was a letter written by Paul to Titus while he was in Crete. And um, what do we know about the Roman Empire at this time? It was about 63, 64 AD. Um, does anybody want to share what what we know about the Roman Empire in this moment before we actually read the text, kind of set the stage a little bit? For example, Nero was emperor. And what do we know about Nero? He killed Christians, crucified him, and Yes. He was the... the crazy. Crazy. Drink lead, blind, wine, goblets. Yes. Um, he was ruthless to Christians. He was amoral in every sense of the word. Uh, there were a lot of... Um, there was a lot of reputation that preceded Crete, uh, and one of the writers in the 7th century BC actually is quoted in Titus, and um, so we'll get to that soon, but um, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. So that was the reputation in Crete, and we can kind of see if they're having this Nero for their emperor that um, the Roman Empire was not awesome at this moment, especially for Christians. And then what else do we know about the social structure of the Roman Empire right now in, in this culture? So as we read, I want you to keep that in mind. Think about what we can learn from the so social structure, the culture, and um, so if I could get somebody to volunteer to read Titus 1, and it's a very short chapter, or even half of Titus 1, anybody you want to volunteer? Go for it. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that is in accordance with godliness, <clears throat> and the hope of eternal life that God who never lies, promised before the ages began. In due time he revealed his word through the proclamation with which I am, have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my loyal child in the faith we share, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. I left you behind in Crete for this reason, so that you should put in order what remained to be done and should appoint elders in every town, as I directed you, 
someone who is blameless, married only once, whose children are believers, not accused of debauchery, and not rebellious. For a bishop, as God's steward, must be blameless. He must not be arrogant, or quick-tempered, or addicted to wine, or violent, or greedy for gain. But he must be hospitable, a lover of goodness, prudent, upright, devout, and self-controlled. He must have a firm grasp of the word that is trustworthy in accordance with the teaching, so that he may be able to both to preach with sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict it. There are also many rebellious people, idle talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for sordid gain what it is not right to teach. It was one of them, their very own prophet, who said, Cretans are always liars, vicious brutes, lazy gluttons. That testimony is true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply, so that they may be able that they may become sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths or to commandments of those who reject the truth. To the pure all things are pure, but to the corrupt and unbelieving nothing is pure. Their very minds and consciousness are corrupted. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their actions. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Does anybody want to read chapter 2? Or part of it. I would read it, but then I, w- I literally would not have a voice. I'll read it. I'll read it. Great, thank you. This is New Living, so probably nobody else has this. So. Uh, as for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely, and you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. Slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave us life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, so don't let anyone disregard what you say. Great. So I have a task for us if would humor me and get into groups of six-ish, just turn around maybe two 
bros together and talk about a couple of things. What do we know about the culture and social structure in the Roman Empire right now based on this letter from Paul to Titus? What do you know about it from growing up? What have you been taught about it before? And is that different from what you have come to know now? Or, um, or is it the same? And I would like for you to share your experiences for about 15 minutes. Because there's a lot of people, six is a lot of people to talk about those three related questions. So you'll please get together and, um, and then we'll come back and we'll share in a moment. So what do we know about the social cultural structure? What do you know from your own upbringing? What were you taught in church? And then what does that line up with now? Do you, is that something that is consistent with what you believe now? And if it's the same, you know, talk about that. And if it's different, talk about that. And then we'll come back together, OK? All right, here we go. We're back. We're back. I love all the conversation that I'm hearing, and I love that it's taking me multiple tries to get your attention. <laughs> so, just the time that we have left, does anybody want to share um, the answer to one of those questions? This, what we could glean from the text about the social or cultural structure in the Roman Empire at the time, or what you were taught about this text growing up, or ways that you have changed over time or not. Anybody want to share any of those? Any fiery debates happen here? <laughs> 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 just, just, just no one else is going to talk. We, we were discussing um, the comparison between um, American culture and, Ro and Roman culture. I think one of, one of, one of the things that um, stuck out is, as we've learned Roman culture through the Bible or history is how much we compare ourselves as Americans to Roman culture and kind of the power of the world power. And, and, and the question is, how do we see ourselves kind of in the midst of, you know, where America is like in, in, in dominance across the world versus where Romans saw themselves, and how, how, how do we look? It's, it's really the, the question um, about that. Where do we see ourselves in, in that? Hmm. So. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. On the, um, when you're growing up question, we discussed that we probably had no context growing up, yeah. that we, our parents didn't have the information to have context, teachers, people, our teachers, so. So there was no context, it was, it was literal. Yeah. 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 I think a lot of what we sort of got into was the rigidity of sticking to those requirements for the elders, for the women, for all of that, and just, yeah, not having the rest of the context and the history and all of that. But, you know, for example, if you only had one child, you couldn't be considered an elder because you don't have children, you know. And so it's that, you know, those sort of little quirky things that they just held on so tightly to. Mm -hmm. Thinking about that, um, you know, based on those guidelines for elder 
Paul and Timothy, neither would be qualified for elder. So that's interesting. Understanding the context of Crete, and I was talking to our group of how we had never realized the Cretan, you know, you're such a Cretan came from the island of Crete, you know. Um, but it helps you understand why it was so important to have those people who were so different than everybody else. Like, if we are to really be a light on a hill, then we need to be people who are different than the rest of society. And so it makes sense in that context why Paul was encouraging Titus to find those people who people could look at after as someone who could weed them. Um, but it also, for me personally, it was just one of those moments of made me realize that we do that ourselves, of where we hear what we think God is telling us for us in our moment and we want to apply it to everybody else or to another situation we see and to be very careful that maybe it could be just what we need to hear at that moment in time and not make it a blanket rule for the rest of our life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, along those lines, you know, chapter 2 is talking about older men, older women, and younger men. I mean, over and over and over what you're saying is, you know, don't be given to drunkenness, temperance, and it seems like what it's revealing is just kind of how out of control that culture was. And to and to say that what we're dealing with in 21st century Western civilization is equal to that um, may not be uh, the best way to interpret those passages and to insert those passages into our context today. And so the context is everything where they're trying to create order out of what seems to be tremendous chaos. Yeah, to that point, um, Nero, I, I was just blown away just reading um, about him, and he was given to ancestral desires, and he murdered his wife and his mother, and he, you know, it was just the, the, the craziness of that time. Um, and on top of that, he had it out for the Christians, so... Um, he was very suspicious of everyone. He was, he accused nearly everyone in the Senate of treason. And so, um, to be, to read the, the verse, to be above reproach, sort of has a different meaning when you read it with that understanding of, of the pressure that was, you know, Nero accused the Christians of this new superstition that they were pulling, you know, people... And at the same time, in that time, you know, this is the same time that First and Second Timothy was written, and so there was a lot of cult, you know, the false teachers that are spoken of. Um, there's a lot of cult beliefs that are going on where um, that's having to be distinguished from what the Christians are professing, and so it's a very confusing time as well for a lot of the people. And it's also this chaos. And so I like what you said about transplanting that time into this time. So I guess my next question would be, are these passages for all time and all places? Um, and, you know, the rigidity that you were talking about, 
what do we do with it now? So what do we do, how do we apply that now? Um, what are your feelings about that? You know, now that you, you mentioned growing up and hearing the rigidity about eldership. And <clears throat> so at what point, and I, I should note, there's another thing that I don't think I heard mentioned about the culture at this time. Um, was a slave culture, so you had a whole class of people that were enslaved, and you know, we don't. For a long time, the church used that as a um, as a justification for slavery in our country. So, I wonder what you know. We've sort of moved past that, so we're already kind of taking apart this passage, not as literally as we to in our own culture. So did anyone talk more about that? Like what parts of the, the Roman culture then are we happy to not apply to ourselves today? I think kind of for Walter's point, we just talked about, um, or I guess I'll speak for myself, the, the third, your third question about how you think about things differently is, you know, I, moving from it being I really didn't know what to do with the Bible besides read it word for word as literal as possible. And kind of, where it was very obvious that there weren't any more slaves, you could just kind of like not read that part or just not think about that part. But where there are still women and still wives, they should still do what it says. Or men and older men. And so um, thinking about the Bible, though, in a different context now as, as, as kind of not just the Bible, but God desiring good for our lives and the, the church or we as his people to he wants good for the world for a, a progress a, a movement towards um, in a direction um, that I think about in that time what Paul was writing was towards that end you know those instructions were for good for a desire kind of like Walter said to bring order and so I think I'd read it now differently or the way I, I want to think about it now, and there were portions, you know, that were pointed out in our group that are still timeless. Being, you know, being above hypocrisy, you know, I mean, that that does seem fairly timeless. But other places where culturally, whether it's gender roles or slavery, where those don't apply, we don't try to force those to apply. We think about what what does that look like now? I think a lot of it is holding the cultural and historical significance of what was going on at the time and what we know about how women were treated, how slaves were treated, and then sort of marrying that with where we are now. So that helps us to know, you know, for example, they had multiple children. So that makes sense that they would do that. Or, and just how you treat other people and us as, you know, sort of the overall passage is, um, um, it's interesting because we think about the time period, right? Jesus died, he's gone back, and the church is growing, but we have a lot of different varieties of what churches are looking like. And when you look at Paul and he's writing his letters, I think part of it is to remind 
uh, the different churches and the different areas of sticking to the core truths and tenets of the story of salvation. Now, in this specific letter, you know, he mentions just starting uh, in chapter 1 about circumcision. Remember, this is a huge battle over where Gentiles are going to be allowed in the church. And if they are, what cultural uh, areas do they have to give up? Right? So we have the cult of the Gentiles versus the Jews. You have to be a good Jew to be a Christian, conversely. And so he's taking that off and he's basically saying, here are the tenets that are timeless. Here are the tenets that speak specifically to the culture that we're having arguments about today. And then uh, in all of that, hold on to these roots and don't lose focus off of what the main point is, the story of salvation. Uh, but if you, you know, first St. Timothy, when he talks about the faith being passed down, I think it says, Timothy, remember your grandmother whose faith, uh, I can't quote the exact verse, but it's very, very important that the young men, or the older men are training the younger men, and the older women are training the younger women, because that is how faith is being passed down. Most of the people still could not read at this point either. Um, so. It's interesting that you mentioned the circumcision piece, because... Um, it's my understanding that Titus was a Gentile, and so Paul actually went to bat for Titus, saying, well, you don't have to be circumcised, and he went to bat for him. And so he, we see this example on Paul of not being rigid towards this one, you know, legalistic approach to the interpretation of the law. And, um, and I just think that that's interesting to note that. Um, and also along those lines, in chapter one, he's saying, you know, here's all this debauchery, even those who are certain. So, you know, code names for Jews are are also, um, you know, victim to this um, debauchery as well. So, you know, in a in a culture where you could easily scapegoat the Cretans and say, you know, all these Cretans are bad. You know, Paul's reminding me, wait, there's there's some Jews that are mixed up in this as well. Other thoughts? Anything that stood out to you or that you've heard now that um, you have questions about? I don't know that I'll be able to answer it. Kind of go back to what you said earlier. It does shine a light on the fact that, as a culture, we view single people much differently now than the way Paul did. Where Paul put, you know, Titus, Timothy, you know, two single people in charge of appointing elders, you know, mm-hmm. and and we sometimes in our marriedness sometimes forget that single people are whole individuals of themselves. And we as a church collectively can sometimes do that as well. And and I think it's just a good reminder that uh, we have lessons to learn, even from scripture of years gone by, that you know, single people are, are important. Absolutely. There is a <clears throat> I always find it interesting that, you know, in Paul's descriptions for these positions, for the overseers, um, we know that that term is is not gender specific. <coughs> the term overseer is just 
overseer. Um, and we know that Paul praised being single. And so I wonder in these lists that he has here, what are your thoughts about, is this an exclusionary text? Or is it, a, you know, most people that I'm talking to will have a spouse and children, so this is how you should. So what do you think? Is this a description of must-haves? Or is it an, an exclusionary text? Is it, this is more of a best practice because most of the people I'm talking to in this time and place, what are your thoughts about that? So specifically, um, In verse 5, an elder must have a blameless life. I have the New Living Translation to you, by the way. <laughs> um, he must be faithful to his wife, and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild and rebellious. The church leader is a manager of God's household, so he must have a blameless life. Now here there, he's um, asserting that this is male, using the he, but in, you know, in Timothy, where it says, if anyone should desire the office of bishop, that term anyone is genderless. So it could just be that, you know, when we're talking about people in general, we say, we pick a pronoun because that's easier to say. And generally in this time and place, this is the men are in charge of everything at this point. But we also know that there's a lot of examples of church leaders, this very word here, in verse 7, church leaders that were women in Phoebe houses, church, churches that met in homes, um, we know were women. And so I'm going to, I guess, put that out there as what I think, I guess, what this is not necessarily exclusionary. Um, but I would love to hear from you, and that's, of course, just the way that I read it. Um, does anybody else want to speak to that? Of course, it's 1045, so. <laughs> and you have to get kids, that's I just think it's an interesting idea, because, like, we talked in our group, and it's been said, it, Growing up, it was, these are the rules, this is how you read it. There was no context given. Now, as adults, and we're looking back, and we think, like, what doesn't, there are no slaves now. Why should we read it so literally, or whatever, that it's just an interesting, now as an adult, to think, ooh, that's bad, or, anyway. I just think it's a very interesting thought to have for us. I think it was ever meant to be exclusionary. I think it was more just given everything that was going on in that immorality that even the Jewish people had. I think it was more you need to have good examples as leaders, and these are some rough guidelines. I don't think it was ever meant to be set in stone, unchanging, and unmoving sort of thing, especially given that women were, in fact, leaders in some cases, and even the way how Jesus treated them. And none of that was supposed to be totally exclusive. 
So uh, next week we'll be in Titus 3. Karen Speak will be leading us. It will be amazing. It's going to be amazing. So you, you want to make sure you get here early. She's got some tricks up her sleeve. It's great. <laughs>